Paul Beeler. Thank you for joining me on this week's guest series. I'm your host, Shiva Shaker, and let's talk. So I'm here with Noah. Noah is a good friend of mine, and he's super into the politics game and the psychology behind that, which is pretty interesting. You want to tell a little bit about yourself, Noah? Yeah, I, uh, I'm Noah Cosimano. I've been working in politics for about five years now. Started off in the county legislator, and that was a good introduction. I think a lot of kids nowadays just kind of start by being like a like an intern at the, at the U.S. Capitol, where you're mm-hmm. just giving tours. But really, I think getting an introduction to how personal politics really is, you got to start at the at the local level. And oh my God, politics is all just like a shit fight. Yeah. Pretty much at the local level. Um, what about, you started at school level too, huh? You started your way from smaller community, worked your way to local. Is the is the game plan to branch out towards more state, federal? Yeah, so uh, right now, um, I'm about to actually leave my position right now, but um, I've been pretty much acting as the communications director for the Georgia House Democratic Caucus, which has been uh, it's a fantastic experience. I started working there a year ago mm-hmm. on communication strategy for their campaigns. Obviously, we did not flip the state house in Georgia yet, but mm-hmm. we're we're looking, you know, forward to twenty twenty two, and and you know, Georgia's looking very positive for Democrat candidates. I think voters were very clear that in Georgia that we're you know we're looking for change. I think it was clear by the fact that we voted for Joe Biden and and yeah. uh, Senators uh, Ossoff and Warnock. Mm-hmm. So you gave me a couple of papers to read, papers that you wrote, which were pretty interesting. And I guess to segue, we you talked a lot about media influencers and how that's changed the political game from what it once was, right? Especially starting in around 2008 with Obama administration. Absolutely. And I, I, I do want to give a shout out to my, my old mentor um, and a really close friend of mine, Dr. Drew Weston, who wrote The Political Brain. And if anyone really wants a good introduction in, into political psychology, reading The Political Brain is probably the best way to do that. Mm-hmm. The only other book I can really recommend is, is um, Frank Luntz has a great book on, on political communications too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, wh- you know, when I got to school and I started, you know, researching political psychology, one of the biggest things that I became interested in was why it's pretty much what, something that everyone in political science is interested in. Mm-hmm. How did Donald Trump become president, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. How did he become president running the campaign he ran and what kind of campaign did he run mm-hmm. and where can we find the differences between when Democrats succeed, which was 2008 and 2012, and then what kind of campaign did, did Clinton run in 2016 and where were the differences there? Why didn't she win? And there's a lot of reasons why Hillary Clinton did not win. And I'm not going to claim to know all of them, nor am I going to say that what I say is definitively correct for why yeah. Hillary Clinton <laughs> lost. But what we really see is, you know, starting in 2008, and this is just everyone recognizes this, that the Obama campaign was able to utilize these new tools like social media to mobilize their base and to connect with their followers. They had this little war room where they locked up a bunch of data monkeys to <laughs> go through like big data because <laughs> if we're the digital age now and yeah. we can target advertising better and we can, we can mobilize better on these websites. And one of the biggest things that, you know, when we think about Obama 2008, we think about his slogan, you know, hope and stuff. hope and, you know, change and yes we can mm-hmm. right um and first of all besides work in political psychology and, and and connections on social media i've also done a lot of 
research into values-based messaging. And the first thing I would say is that literally hope and change are just two values that he yeah. just threw out there and it stuck, right? We were coming out of the Great Recession, or we were not coming out of the Great Recession, but we were in the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. And we were looking for a populist, right? Mm-hmm. We've, we, that was when we started looking for a populist president. And he gave us that, right? Hope and change. Mm-hmm. Kind of vague sketches of policy plans. You know, he mm-hmm. said he was going to provide us a cheaper health care. Mm-hmm. And he, we weren't going to be in this forever war in the Middle East, which mm-hmm. he didn't really pull us out of the fire. Yeah. And he said, you know, green energy is important. Not much was done on green mm-hmm. energy. Like some Paris Climate Accord, like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's great, but no one's meeting the... And Bin Laden, right? Requirements. Yeah. Yeah. Score one for Obama. He killed, a, you know, Bin Laden. Good for him. Um, <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> oh, one of the biggest things that he did was, was you know, the recession package. Was He, mm-hmm. he really spent all this political capital on, on, on being able to get us out of the recession in, mm-hmm. you know, the first four years. Mm-hmm. And then he couldn't get past the Affordable Care Act that he wanted, and we got this kind of weird amalgamation where there's no public option, and there's just, like, you know, these healthcare uh, uh, marketplaces, and not every state has fully expanded them, even. <laughs> I mean, we're, you know, I, we've been working on this right now in Georgia's big policy issue that we're about to be touching at the state house is, you know, the Kemp plan to uh, expand Medicaid in Georgia really didn't make any sense. Only 10% of people that could be covered would be covered and we're basically going to be spending the exact same amount of money. And the Biden administration just came in and they said, this plan doesn't make any sense. Okay. <laughs> you yeah. couldn't, we're, why are we spending this much? Yeah. Uh, Biden, uh, I believe the number is, uh, they're going to fully cover, the federal government fully covers our expansion for 500,000 Georgia, uh, Georgia citizens mm-hmm. for no money. We pay no money for six years and only pay 10% forever after that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know where any of that was going. I was talking about Obama. <laughs> Obama did really well at the internet. <laughs> that, that's the main plan. Uh, um, I, mean, I guess, like, yeah, right, going back on that, him and his administration going for the internet, right, they kind of took, took, like, a, what is it, stab in the dark a little bit, right? Because the internet was just blowing up even more than it has now, of course. So it's kind of interesting to think that his campaign was like, you know what, this is going to be the future. I think we could get a lot of... A lot of people could recognize our campaign if we pushed social media more than like news committees and, and interviews and, and like campaigning in other ways. Absolutely. And, and, and also, I mean, historically, and you talk to pretty much anyone in, in campaigning who's, who's over a certain age, maybe over the age of 35, mm-hmm. and you ask them, can you, can you bring out college age and young voters to, mm-hmm. to go vote? And every one of them will say, that's a waste of money. Yeah. <laughs> Spend, yeah. That money is better spent on people on the fence mm-hmm. and not even caring about college age voter because mm-hmm. they're just not going to come vote. But because they were the first ones to kind of go into the social media space, and that's pretty much where all you know college age voters were, mm-hmm. they were able to, to connect with them more than any other campaign was able to before. And I think, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't necessarily say that Obama won simply because of social media, I think that's a big reason why he won. Mm-hmm. I think that Obama won because we were tired of mm-hmm. the same old, same old. We wanted something different. Mm-hmm. We he were, was younger. He was younger. Yeah, he, he was charismatic. Mm-hmm. He was the first, like I said, the first populist president that we've ever had. It was mm-hmm. was President Obama. Um, just coming in, again, with these vague value uh, sketches of hope and change. Mm-hmm. Uh, not really telling anyone what that was, but, you know, it sounded good and and he said, yes, we can. You know, he, he brought the Big Ten in. Um, he said, everyone can. Yes, we can. Mm-hmm. It's more personal. It's not, yes, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. He's not like, I'm going to build back 
America better. Yeah. It's, uh, we are going to do this thing together. It's all that psychology that you're talking about, right? He used social media to appeal to a younger audience. The fact that he was charismatic got more people's attention. It's kind of like a repeat we see with what happened with JFK, right? When TV started becoming a big thing and, and he capitalized on that and he looked better on TV. And the whole thing with Obama capitalizing on the beginning of a social media train that I think in the next minute or two, we're going to talk about how media influencers have transitioned that even further than when Obama started. Absolutely. And back then it was, I don't even, I don't even know when Twitter came out, but the one that I can really say is Facebook was, was around in mm-hmm. 2008. I believe Twitter was around in 2008. Mm-hmm. Someone can correct me on that. <laughs> around the same time frame. Yeah, sound off in the comment section below. <laughs> Let me know. But, you know, with the advent of all these more visual-based platforms like like a Vine or an Instagram mm-hmm. or TikTok now. Mm-hmm. I, I hate TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. <laughs> I have... Don't, don't look for him. Yeah, no. He won't be there. I will not be there. You will not find my political insights on TikTok. I leave that to my shit posts on Twitter. <laughs> but absolutely, uh, social media influencers have been able to take these visual mediums and they've kind of inserted themselves into our immediate social circle. So before social media, you were constrained by geographic location if you wanted to make friends. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to have a community group, you were constrained by the people you were around. And generally, those people would look like you or pray like you or speak like you or vote like you. Mm-hmm. But you couldn't force that. Mm-hmm. You couldn't be certain. Mm-hmm. Your environment would produce you. Now, there is no incentive to be stuck in geographic location. Mm-hmm. Now, with forums, uh, anonymous message boards like mm-hmm. 4chan, um, Reddit, mm-hmm. uh, and then Instagram and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and TikTok and, mm-hmm. and all of that, you can find your niche community. Yeah. And you don't need, you know, you, it's just whoever you are and whatever you're interested in, you're going to find your, your niche. Mm-hmm. You're going to get into it, and that's going to be your community now. That's going to be your close, close-knit community. And it's, and it's causing uh, people to not have to question anything that they believe. It's forcing people to not have to interact with people that they don't want to interact with people. Mm-hmm. And it's allowing us to create our, you know, our close circle where we get our news, who we talk to, it's all just echoing back to us now. And so when social media influencers are able to insert themselves into that stream of consciousness, that news feed or whatever on Instagram, when you're scrolling through and seeing people you know that you've self-selected into seeing their content, and so you're going to be more willing to accept the, the information that they're sharing to you, they now feel like they're our close friends. And if you go into their comment section, you will see people talking with them as if they're commenting on their best friend's vacation photos, mm-hmm. right? And expecting to elicit a response from the influencers. However, there's no motivation on the influencer's part to have to build this relationship with them. Mm-hmm. This relationship is completely one-sided. And this person is basically a parasite on, you know, <laughs> feeding, you know, getting so much money off of off of just you looking and 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 pretending that they care. Mm-hmm. So, I guess I I wanted to mention a couple points, right? Transitioning from what we talked about, I think it's interesting that since Obama started, when he started, social media was still fairly new, and there was a lot of social media real estate 
basically in a way to to capitalize on and then ever since then since it's gotten so big now you can capitalize on facebook ads google ads and like you talked about how there's no you know geographical isolation or divide you can now target ads in any state by a click of a button from your room and even further than that and that's saying this, this is and it's timeline. cheaper mm-hmm. it is cheaper than traditional media yep and on top of that and again this is goes back to the social media influencer kind of just living mm-hmm. underneath skin deep into your newsfeed and mm-hmm. disseminating information with you almost not even realizing it mm-hmm. a lot of these ads that are now on social media look just like another post so you don't even really fully realize you're looking at an ad until mm-hmm. you read the little disclaimer or whatever that mm-hmm. they put on it you know, luckily, some of the social media websites have started to curb back political advertising. Twitter doesn't allow political advertising anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, and again, people can sound off in the comment section below, I'm pretty sure Facebook limited the time frame before an election when you're allowed to have political ads. So like a week before the election, I think okay. they cut off political ads. Uh-huh. But even more important to how Donald Trump won and why mm-hmm. Donald Trump was successful, you know, Obama realized that and capitalize on it. Donald Trump perfected it. Donald Trump's team were able to micro-target better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. No one else was micro-targeting on Facebook to the degree that they were. And their, you know, and Russian disinformation campaigns mm-hmm. and domestic disinformation campaigns, they were all able to util- utilize this kind of, you know, uh, advertising. Macro and micro-targeting mm-hmm. to get people to vote for Donald Trump or not vote for yeah. Hillary Clinton. And, you know, another layer to that, people think that, you know, Russian disinformation or these disinformation campaigns were just meant to, you know, rile up racist white people or whatever and get them to vote for Donald Trump. That's not really what was going on. They were doing this to both Democrats and Republicans. Their Mm -hmm. goal was not to make people mad at each other or to Mm -hmm. get the worst candidates in there. Their goal was just to make Americans confused and not know what or how or where to get their information from. And so they would rely even more on these microcosm, like small little groups. Like I'm in this group on Facebook called uh, Things Brian Kemp Just Found Out (laughs) Yesterday. And it's just a joke. That's a joke because Brian Kemp didn't know until really late into the game that asymptomatic people could transmit the coronavirus. On that page, (laughs) I'm cognizant of it. It's just memes. It's just memes making fun of Governor Brian Kemp. Yeah. I don't know how many of those people are actually people posting those memes and not just some dude in Moscow saying, oh, we could say Kemp said this, even though Kemp didn't say that. Mm. And I'll say, that sounds like something Kemp would say (laughs) and go ahead and believe it, right? Like, No one fact checks. Yeah, no one fact checks anything because both the left and the right, and I'm talking about progressive left, Mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders, and, and I guess... All of the right now is just Trump, pretty mm-hmm. much. They don't trust institutionalized news. Any kind of traditional news media anymore, they're not going to read it. It's got to be on medium for it to be real. Because <laughs> that's how you know you're getting good information because you don't know anything about the organization that wrote it, right? Or the person. Uh, it just says what you want to believe. And so you're like, that's good news media. I'm going to you know, continue to read that. Vox, okay. you know, Vice, all these like hip new yeah, lots of uh, graphics and you know all yeah. these traditional forms of media have gone thrown out the window by both the left and the right and so n- neither side because they annihilated them yeah yeah so neither, neither side really has 
first of all, within their own group, someone who knows the truth other than the leader at that time, which is Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump mm -hmm. or AOC or whatever. Mm -hmm. So they don't have, you know, a set of facts or, or a place to get those facts. It's all individualized. There's like a thousand different blogs you can go on if you're a progressive and they'll mm -hmm. tell you progressive things. Or if you're a Republican, they'll tell you Republican things. So then it's left the one person, the leader of that group, to tell, to be the arbiter of truth. And so all of these things just mean that we're not getting our facts from anywhere the same. No one's there to tell us what to believe or not because mm -hmm. we don't trust the establishment anymore. Mm -hmm. We're, you know, populists. Mm -hmm. And that's just leading to more polarization and, and just craziness because no one's willing to listen to anything that doesn't make them have, you know, an emotional booster, you know, uh, mm -hmm. an adrenaline rush or, or right. you know, a serotonin hit. You yeah. Know? So you mentioned a lot. I kind of want to unpack this. So, okay. You're talking psychology of politics. We went from how it all started with Obama starting to use social media and it was a new thing fairly. And then we went straight into how the real estate got higher. So now you got to start ad attacking. And then from there, it looks like people found the new technique and even brands and companies do this all the time, right? They use social media influencers because they have a hundred million followers or 50 million followers. And you said Donald Trump perfected that. And I thought, and I was thinking, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense, right? He, even to the point where, I mean, obviously he did things that Obama hadn't even really done, which was like, he would sell his merch and a lot of the uh, followers of people that supported him with high follower counts, like I guess someone like Jake Paul would wear his hat, uh, Donald Trump's hat. Absolutely. And, and yeah, and that's something, you know, oh, and Democrats have a really much easier time at this getting pop culture people to come and, mm -hmm. and rally for them. And, you know, but what I was saying about Donald Trump being really good at microdrawing wasn't because he, he got a lot of people mm -hmm. who were famous mm -hmm. to support him, mm -hmm. right? I'm saying that they micro-targeted better than any other campaign. They figured out who they needed to pull out, who they needed to talk to, and they just directly reached into that subset of people. But you are absolutely right with this branding thing. The Obama logo was everywhere. If you don't realize that Pepsi changed their logo in 2008 to look much more like the Obama logo, you're out of your mind because everyone was so goddamn clear to everybody. <laughs> that's literally what they were doing. Uh -huh. The Obama logo was great, right? Everyone uh -huh. would wear it. It was, a, it was a symbol of, you know, you projected who you are and what you vote for. It was uh -huh. cool. No one was wearing a Hillary Arrow shirt. I'll <laughs> tell you that much. People were wearing the MAGA hat. Uh -huh. And people then also memed the MAGA hat. Uh -huh. And just put other words onto it to, you know, make it more liberal or whatever, right? But yeah. still, in, in a way, even changing the words so it didn't support Donald Trump gave Donald Trump that advertising because everyone saw it and just said MAGA. Yeah, and that's interesting because they capitalized on it while people like Bernie Sanders, while it naturally some advertising and meme culture came out of his campaigning, he didn't quite capitalize on all the meme, like memeing of, because there's so many Bernie Sanders memes, and it doesn't look like his campaign really capitalized on that, right? Where I think, I mean, I see more Bernie Sanders bumper stickers on laptops and cars than I do people walking around wearing. Mm -hmm. I think I probably even see more than I see Joe Biden stickers and, and stuff mm -hmm. going around. I think what, what the, the, and it's going to be a little bit antithetical to what I said earlier about pulling out the college age voters. But right now, I believe 
I think there's a lot of evidence to support this, is that people are starting to, because we're all living our lives online, people are starting to see that political engagement is moving away from, and not to say that there aren't in-person protests, I think we saw that very clearly both <laughs> over the summer mm-hmm. and at the Capitol mm-hmm. um, on, on January 6th, of course, that being a violent insurrection, and the other ones being people asking <laughs> to not get shot by the cops. <laughs> Political engagement up until that point, I think probably this summer, had just been, well, I'm going to share this meme, and that's going to be enough to show that I'm politically engaged. I'm going to make a meme, and I'm going to share it with my friends, or I'm going to follow this meme page, and I'll reshare it whenever it says something, you know, politically that I like. And so we moved away from direct action, actually calling your legislator, actually going to the polls and voting, mm-hmm. people are like, I shared. That's enough. That's, that means I voted, right? Like, yeah. I shared that. Yeah. And so uh, Bernie Sanders really did a terrible job doing two things. One, connecting to older people and people of color. And two, he relied so heavily on pulling out college students mm-hmm. who either don't have the time to vote, don't know how to vote, don't care to vote. Fair fights trying to pr- in Georgia's trying to prove mm-hmm. that... That's wrong. And they've done a good job at pulling out the college vote. But I think he relied too heavily on on thinking that these people who... And I hate to say the phrase, these people, Bernie Sanders fans, don't come attack me. Um, <laughs> who generally, generally are just posting on Twitter. But when it comes to actually showing up the polls, like, that's a long line to vote in. <laughs> Like, I don't know if yeah. I want to stand in line that long. But even that, I feel like, I don't know, I guess the government kind of capitalized on social media in that aspect, right? The whole sticker thing. Everyone would take pictures of them wearing or holding the I Voted sticker. And even that became a social media trend. And the hashtag I Voted and, and all these voted like Snapchat filters and, and stuff like that, right? Like, I feel like even... No, and that can be a positive. That's, yeah. a, that's definitely a positive thing, mm-hmm. that, that we are Voter making outside. voting cool again. <laughs> um, you know, that's a great way to, to socially influence socially influence people. So, wow, I like it. Yeah, maybe I should coin the phrase or something. Make a lot of money on Instagram. <laughs> so it's a great thing that, like, oh, cool, I posted on social media. Look how cool mm-hmm. it is that I have this sticker and blah, blah, blah. It's getting better. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't there for him in 2016, and then it wasn't here for, there for him in 2020. And I think the difference between why Donald Trump's success was found in this, like, just be a meme and just let other people dictate what they believe about you through the, those mm-hmm. images is because... Donald Trump's extreme end, the white supremacist <laughs> loons, there's a lot more of them in this state because it was the old way of doing it. Like, it was like the old tradition. Now, but they're going to die out soon. They're, they're almost out, right? Like, that, see, this is the difference, right? So he's doing well because he's got the percentage to, you know, to be white and racist. But Bernie Sanders is just a little bit too low to be able to do that, right? And mm-hmm. we'll soon, soon see that the, the crazy train is going to switch over to, to the Democrat side when more young people either become of eligible age to vote, register to vote, become more interested with politics. Mm-hmm. But all this has to happen while Joe Biden is president, and a lot of young people are still pissed. Mm-hmm. They're not happy with the direction of the country. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to have to hope that if you're a socialist candidate, next Democratic, socialist, whatever the hell you want to call yourself, 
you got to make sure that the energy is up in your party because if young people aren't feeling it, they're not going to turn out to vote. A lot of people don't understand why Democrats won Georgia. De Democrats won Georgia because we got lucky because Republicans, again, were being loons and depressing their own turnout. If Donald Trump was not saying to everybody, oh, the system's rigged against me, the system's rigged against you, doesn't matter if you go out to vote, we would not have Senator Ossoff and Senator Warnock right now. What we see is so much Republican turnout was depressed all across the state. And so we need to be, A, cognizant that we don't dilute our own vote, don't depress our own vote mm -hmm. in, in four years by having a fight between the center left and the progressive wings of the party. I think that's going to tear apart the Republican Party right now. I think we're seeing it. CPAC said something like 70, 97% of, of conservative voters at the PAC. So like at the conference, that's not, you know, that much of a, a good indicator of where the Republican Party is because they're all fanatics if they're going to the, you know, the convention. So you talked about the energy needs to be there. And you talked about how Donald Trump's campaign perfected this new idea of social media influence and the psychology behind it. And you touched on this a little earlier. You were talking about meme culture. And it seems like Donald Trump and memes blew up in four years, right? And that was kind of an energy in a way, a momentum, a push, I would say. Even like the build the wall memes and stuff, right? Well, we're seeing it everywhere. We're seeing it's not just the United States. Uh -huh. um, we're seeing it in every country that populism is winning, nationalism mm -hmm. is winning, uh, and it's all a rebuttal to to globalization. And Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump are both per, you know promising protections from globalization, just different ways of of promising that. What this political scientist named Pablo Gabbardo argues is that we're seeing this all across the world because because political organizations tend to organize themselves in the matter that you that labor is organizing themselves at that time. During the industrial era, it was just about churning out the vote. During the post-industrial era, it was about building a big tent, bringing everyone in, and then consolidating power to a few people at the top to be able to um, be more agile with with talking about policy. Mm -hmm. um, there, so there wouldn't be so much infighting. And then now what we're seeing is a shift to this kind of technology startup form of building and organizing parties. And where that ends is you have a person at the top, a charismatic leader, like a, I'm not claiming that Mark Zuckerberg is not necessarily charismatic, uh -huh. but uh, you have this one person at the top who, who orders how things are to go mm -hmm. and, and the people do it, right? So you have a consolidation to one person. So one person is now the leader of the party. And it's not, you're not supporting the Democrat party or the Republican party. You're supporting the Bernie Sanders party or the Donald Trump party. And so what you have is just people organizing online how parties used to organize in person, right? We, they would get together. They would have everyone get together and say, These are, this is our logo. This is our message. Go off and, and you know, conquer. Now it's really the public building the message and it's mm -hmm. the people on social media building the persona of the candidate, yeah, and and that has diminished the candidate's uh, uh, ability to a control his own thing, but he, his image. But he wouldn't, or she wouldn't want to necessarily, or they wouldn't necessarily want to control it because if they're not responsible for what they say or what they do, because they can just be shifted into a positive or negative, then there's no way to to hold them responsible for that. Every every moment, there's no more gaps. Mm -hmm. uh, every moment that's a positive or a negative 
can just be switched on the dime, right? Mm -hmm. When Donald Trump said nasty women, people on the right loved it. And people on the left used it to, uh, you know, take back that term and say, yeah, we are nasty women. And, mm -hmm. and that, so, you know, that's, we completely def deflated everything about it. It's evident that social media has changed the game, right? And now we see social media doing good in terms of things like Facebook and Instagram, pushing people to vote, to register to vote on their platform and, you know, kind of bringing out this I voted thing and all this stuff. And then we also see the sides of social media influencers pushing sides or perspectives. And we, if you haven't seen The Social Dilemma on Netflix, the documentary, I highly suggest you guys watch it, but it talks about how group polarization occurs now because what social media is designed to do is their algorithm sees what you like and it pushes more content exactly like the ones you enjoy. So it produces this one-sided vision and causes more group polarization and like you said, away from parties and more on candidates. What is your perspective on this? change right because there's good sides and bad sides to it well i would say it's up to the i think it's really up to all of us to be aware that what we're seeing is not necessarily representative of what's going on and i think it's also on the onus of, of all of us to to take that knowledge and seek groups over social media that have different points of view so that they mm -hmm. are put into our our social media stream not necessarily to say uh, that's stupid. I, you know, I'll get, I get mad whenever I see it. And you shouldn't get mad whenever you're seeing one another citizen saying about, you know, well, maybe some cases, yeah, you should be getting mad. <laughs> but it's, it's on all of us to be able to adjust that algorithm that's just trying to, it's, it's all self-selected, right? It's not only the fault of this algorithm that's just giving you a bunch of stuff you want to see. It's also our fault for only selecting the stuff that we want to see, right? Yeah, you right? can follow other candidates. You can too, follow right? other candidates. You can follow, uh, you know, Get on your news feed, if you're, yeah. yeah, a Democrat, follow the Republican Party's Twitter. And if you're a uh, Republican, follow the Democrat Party's Twitter. Yeah, I think that's my that's all the points that's I have your to two make. Cents. To be cognizant of it, and and it just even goes on as far as past politics, man. You see it in sports, you see it in everything, right? You see this group polarization, this the meme culture attacking sides, and all sorts of things on that basis. And, and one important thing to always recognize, you know, I had a disagreement with my friend about this the other day, and I said, "Oh man, that's just like one of the most toxic things." Like, I, I there was some joke, and it was just really. Look, I'm a I'm a liberal Democrat, but it was like attacking Republicans in just like some like unnecessary way, mm -hmm. right? And I was just like, that's super corrosive to our democracy. Mm -hmm. Why do you follow this account mm -hmm. that's so corrosive to just like how you think about your neighbor? And my friend went, Well, it's just a joke. And I go, Yeah, but Every time you scroll past that joke, you're seeing part of it and your brain is, is accepting, you know, yeah. whether or not you are actively reading it or your brain is accepting some part because you scroll past it. Your brain can, can take in a lot of visual information and digest it for you without you realizing it mm -hmm. very quickly. Mm -hmm. And so uh, just scrolling past it cements and supports your view, regressive view, or slowly and slowly more aggressive view of the other side. Um and I also want to talk about, you know, something when you're talking about social media influencers, you know, advertising products. One of this new mm -hmm. thing that I've seen just happening all, and I think it's really just because of the pandemic, they're trying to think, how do we make ads mm -hmm. um, with no crew? Like, you'll see, like, 
some video where it's just like some dude saying, hey guys, I just got this uh, HelloFresh subscription. Let's open it up and see what's in there. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this seems like it could be my friend, but I've never seen this man before in my yeah. entire life. Yeah. Why do I care about what he's doing when he's opening up that box? But a lot of people won't necessarily, will stop for a second and say, oh, oh that's, a, that's a normal human being doing normal human being things. Mm-hmm. That must be for me and what normal human beings do. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it We've given so much power to, to such a few amount of people who have done nothing to deserve it other than just, like, post some pictures of a fancy lifestyle that we want to be living mm-hmm. or make a joke, and then we're giving them power to influence how we view about politics, which is something that should be so separated from entertainment mm-hmm. and uh, comedy because it's a very serious topic. It's a thing that, that so many Americans rely on to be good and provide mm-hmm. resources that we desperately need. I get so mad when when I'm, you know, we're working in the state house and Republicans are trying to pass bills. For example, they passed a bill today that cemented a tax break for the owners of massive luxury yachts. And I'm like, sure, maybe the owners of massive luxury yachts needed a fucking tax break every once in a while. Give them, you know, <laughs> give them an in. But we are sitting here with millions unemployed, uh, thousands of Georgians can't get their unemployment check because the DOL isn't funded well enough. The Department mm-hmm. of Labor isn't funded well enough. And we're talking about luxury yachts? You know, yeah. it, it, it's so frustrating when, we're, when people don't take what their what, what politics is seriously. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like far too often it's either a joke, the butt end of a joke, or or just this nihilistic, it doesn't matter anymore attitude because nothing ever gets really done in politics. Yeah. And if and if people just keep believing that and keep like supporting these ideas, memeing it, I think is we're all worse off for it. And I think people who who desperately need help are worse off for it because we're not being able to see the other side. We're never not being able to work with the other side. The other side's not being able to see us. And I think that's what we forget all the time. Why doesn't the other side just change their points of view? Why can't they see what we see? And mm-hmm. you answered their own damn question by by saying, I'm not going to follow that page too. You know, mm-hmm. we often, we always think about, well, the other side is doing it wrong. But really, it's it's both sides. And, and we, all of us, Americans need to wake up and either say, you know, social media is not the place to be talking. You know, obviously it's a place to discuss and have big boy conversations about what's going on mm-hmm. in the world. I don't think social media is a place to be just making jokes about politics and disseminating stuff that makes people either feel negatively towards politics mm-hmm. or makes someone feel a like a gut level disgust reaction to someone who supports the other side because it's happening on both sides and, and and our side will say well we're the right side well we're the left side but we're the right side so we don't have to deal with them or listen to them but we live in a democracy where 76 million people voted for Donald J. Trump. 76 million people. If we can't meet them there and say, oh, this is maybe why you shouldn't, or maybe this is why black people shouldn't be killed by cops. <laughs> you know? Well, like, okay, so I have a question. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're talking about how entertainment should be divided from politics in a sense where people are just giving their two cents where two cents wasn't needed, right? Without, without thorough research and fact-checking and all that. And I kind of see things like if we let experts do the talking, I think we get a lot more done in this society. I think if we let scientists dictate how global climate change is going to affect things and what we they think we should do and we listen, 
I think we would have gotten a lot more done and we still can, right? And I think experts can really help in this type of aspect and things like knowing politics. What do you suggest for people that don't know a lot about politics and they have to make a vote and aren't entirely super into it like you? You know what I mean? How do they, how can someone, Yeah, like, how can someone, for example, the, the Georgia open primary uh, had 20 candidates and Reverend Warnock's name was literally the last name on the ballot. It's hard to, you know, no one, well, actually, before I start this, I wanted to talk, you know, when I'm saying that, you know, you shouldn't be making jokes about politics. Yeah, you should make, make jokes about politics all you want. My concern more broadly is, is the entertainmentization. Well, of... maybe jokes is fine. It's just the corruption of the joke, right? Like, like taking it to an extreme or tying it to their personality. And, and in seeing it as truth in a way. Yeah. And, and taking it at all for face value of yeah. being something that's informative to Anything you. Anything more than a joke. You know, John Stewart famously said, if you're watching my show to get the news, you're not doing it right, right? Yeah. Like, it's it, this is entertainment. Yeah. This is not news. Mm-hmm. And I think so many people watch John Oliver and think, oh, I'm now informed about John the Oliver, news. there's no Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah. And These people are entertainers. They're entertainers. Oh. And on top of that, sure, uh, I, I haven't watched Trevor Noah in a long time. I, I, I think he's much more different in how he runs his show than John Oliver. Uh-huh. John Oliver pretends to be a, a policy expert and uh-huh. says that this is the definitively the right way to solve a policy issue. Mm-hmm. If there was a definitively the right way to solve a policy issue for any policy issue, that policy issue would be solved. You're just getting what... The one side believes to be the ideal policy issue and the ideal policy um, objective. I think if someone's uninformed about politics and they are going into the ballot box, whether it be a primary or a general, first thing to do is just Google the name and be cognizant of what the first few results are too. Because don't click just on the first result. They could be an ad. Mm-hmm. Make sure there's, there's no ad there. I remember when you Googled Joe Biden's name anywhere, pretty much. I went to different states when I tested this theory. The first thing would come up with was sleepyjoe.com. And it was just like (laughs) Donald Trump bought all the ads on Google to have Mm -hmm. the first thing be the website that he made for Joe Biden Mm -hmm. other than the Joe Biden website. Mm -hmm. Read different news sources. (laughs) When I'm making a new recipe, I just made fudge. I just made fudge. You have some. I'm excited to try. Have some of this fudge. Uh, but when I make a new recipe and I just want to make a generic thing like fudge, I find a bunch of recipes and if there's an inconsistency in the measurements, I kind of just even it out mm-hmm. to be the center, right? Like, so if I'm finding inconsistencies on what this person's stance on an issue is, it's probably somewhere in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's if more people are saying one thing versus the other, mm-hmm. go to three news sources. If two out of the three are saying one thing, mm-hmm. then that's probably what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Stay away from op-eds, <laughs> you know, <laughs> go to the state of the news section. Op-eds are just going to tell you opinions, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's not what you want to be Definitely reading. Definitely read The Onion. Read The Onion, yeah, <laughs> and take it very, the Sprowitzer Report or whatever it's called. That was a joke for those. <laughs> <laughs> please don't, please don't take The Onion seriously. What you were talking about is that people can't be policy experts on, mm-hmm. every, on everything. And it's true. And it's true. You can't expect everyone to be a policy expert on everything. But... That same logic extends to the Congress. You can't expect every congressman or woman, or I guess it's non-gendered, um, every person in Congress. We get it. To, <laughs> yeah, I'm a liberal Democrat. I have to watch what I say here. Um, you can't expect every person in Congress to be an expert in, any poli- in every policy issue. Mm-hmm. So you expect those people to hire staff 
who are policy experts in certain policy mm-hmm. areas. You have, you know, an environmental policy person, you have a domestic mm-hmm. policy person, you have... They don't make hardly any money. <laughs> they make no money. And so on top of that, it's like it's hard to convince people who are experts in their field, who may have college debt, who want to make a better wage than what Congress can be. We need to be spending much more on ensuring that Congress people have the resources they need to make an informed vote. Because not every person in Congress is a scientist, and there's no de- democratic you know, accountability if we just say scientists mm-hmm. fix global warming. But they could give their two cents. They're they could give their two, two cents. cents. Yeah. But we should be paying scientists to work in the Congress, right? I we, completely agree. We should be paying for, for staffers. to ha- Our staffers in Congress should be the smartest people when it comes to oh, easily. whatever they're talking about. But they're, we're not paying people enough to be able to do that. And so my biggest thing, if we had to fix why Congress is crazy, and it's the one thing that they can never do because it looks really bad if, you know, you're getting primaried or you're going against your opponent in an election and they say, you know, Congressman so-and-so passed a bill to increase a staff salary by 200%. Mm-hmm. That sounds really bad and you're not going to get reelected. It's going to be a federal... It would have to be a bipartisan effort to say, we don't have the resources that we need as a fucking federal country (laughs) in the 21st century to handle all of these specific policy issues. Because I don't think anyone wants all of these policy issues that we want to get done to be just given to the bureaucracy to get solved Mm -hmm. right through delegation. We want our Congress people to know what the hell they're talking about Mm -hmm. and to say, this is what needs to get done get it done and not just say something like this could happen that'd be nice yeah. can you please work on this maybe yeah and then in four years when there's a different president either they defund that you know agency or they just move around what resources are going to where and all of that policy issue that you were trying to get done is not completely out the window because mm-hmm. preferences change in the agency and, and you weren't specific enough about what the hell you wanted mm-hmm. anyway i'll leave it at that <laughs> well Noah, I appreciate you coming on, man. This was awesome. I enjoy talking about the social psychology and all that. That was pretty crazy talk. Absolutely. I, I you know. I, I really just, if I could leave, you know, people with one thing, it would just be try to see the other side a little bit more. And I'm not saying like agree with the other side. I'm just saying like literally have any kind of interaction <laughs> that isn't like <laughs> directly aggressive with the other side because you want the same thing. I agree. Um, and I would also say, you know, be careful what you read be engaged in politics, not just online, actually, you know, go to a committee hearing, go to a protest, Mm -hmm. you know, call your congressman or your state house representative, Mm -hmm. volunteer on a state house campaign. I'll tell you, people who work in state politics, they have even less resources than the federal government, and they're doing almost exactly as important much, you know, as much important work as, as the federal government. So yeah, I would just say, you know, try to make our country not as wacko anymore <laughs> <laughs> okay so noah thanks for being here again once again man and you have a twitter handle right yeah you can find me on twitter at noah s kazi that's noah s c o s i and uh if you're interested in street photography uh noah slate photos oh, that one's pretty good thank you well thanks for watching guys and tune in next time